everybody, and welcome back to Season 8 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers, and joining me, also as always, it's Matt Stockton. Who I am? Who I am? Who am I? Who, who am I is a question for the ages. That's one we're uh, all searching for, to find out who I am, who's in there, who wants to come out and say, hey, I'm hungry. Uh, who I am is uh, it's too deep and prof- almost you got to go deep and uh, pull out the thing with the movie, the fucking thing came out of the stomach and the people up in the fucking spaceship, may they rest in peace. My name is Matthew Stogden. I'm also known as Maddie the Groin, Sammy the Schnaz, Elmer the Fudd, Tubby the Tuba, and once... As Miss Phyllis Levine. But that was at a party, it was years ago. I smoked a bit of Tibet, I did a Guadalupe, and suddenly I'm in fishnets and singing show tunes. These things happen, but it has nothing to do with what I'm here with you, this fine gentleman, today, so I apologize. That being said, I'm also known to the people who know me the best as the fucking sequelizer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus wept, that was hard. That might be your best one so far. You say that, that was... too often, sir. <laughs> Uh, but I'll take it. No, that, that was genuinely. Uh, you had me laughing out loud. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> right. Ooh, well done, sir. Ooh. Well done. And joining Matthew and I, also as always, it's Tim Matum. This is impossible. This is you. Doc, I'm in pain. You gotta help me. Okay, Matt, I'll help you. Fuck you. Nobody helps Matthew Stockton. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, Bring in the A game, you've gentlemen. Be, you've well been done. nailing me this whole fucking season, <laughs> and it's un- I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> You you see through me, Tim. You see through me. <laughs> oh my lord! Well done, both of you. They, they're some of your finest work, gentlemen. Some of your finest work. Maybe some of the listeners have worked that out. Maybe they haven't. Who knows? Maybe they tuned out a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they tuned out halfway through your monologue. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, this week, folks, we are fixing. An early 2000s sequel to a late 90s film, which blew my mind because I didn't realize that they were, these films are from that kind of era, which is kind of my, my era, so I thought I would have seen them. But as we'll get to in a moment, I haven't seen these films previously before we discussed them for the show. But before we get to actually fixing the bad sequel and any of that stuff, let's say thanks to people on patreon.com slash sequelizers, shall we? Shall we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah all right. Let's do it. Because you, dear listeners, can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can get early access. You can get ad-free episodes. You can get exclusive merch. You can get bonus content like the outtakes where we did a silly quiz about the history of one of the greatest actors of all time <laughs> who stars in some of the worst films ever made. Shaming him. <laughs> it's it's a spectacular breakdown of stats. Usually I'm the research and the stats man, but Tim put me to shame. <laughs> and then Matt also put me to shame. With some truly horrifying stats. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was very, very interesting. You can catch that if you subscribe to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can get all cool bonus extra content. And if you go to the very highest of tiers, you can become an executive producer. If you go to the highest tier, you can even pick an episode, as you already had for the season opener with the Transformers episode. And even with the Riddick episode as well. Another pick. We'll have a few more picks coming up later in the season. But this is not one of those episodes. Don't worry. This this is one we've chosen to inflict on you. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I don't think we've said the title yet. We haven't. No, I'm keeping it a tease. Oh, I see. I apologise. I didn't even mention the name of the actor. I'm keeping it. Oh, yeah. You are keeping it close to your chest, yeah. Yeah, in, in case you, you're listening in the car and you haven't seen the title or you think, 
the fuck is that movie? I have no idea what you're talking about, which is what I thought when I saw it written <laughs> down in the master list of bad sequels. <laughs> anyway, you can join the executive producers who are Mike Salvia. Now, Homer, as you no doubt recall, you were done a favor by our, uh, how shall I say, mafia crime syndicate. Josh Miles. In order to avoid certain legal complications, the trucks are always rolling. Andy Steen. Where's the money? When are you going to get the money? Why aren't you getting the money now? And so on. So please, the money. Josh van der Sluis. Six queens. Read them and weep. Not so fast. Seven queens. Jonathan Firth Clark. I don't get it. Everyone loves rats, but they don't want to drink the rat's milk. And the man known as Xenos. I am not so much disappointed as I am blinded with rage. If you'd like a shout out, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. As I mentioned, become an executive producer. And if you're able to support us, we'd greatly appreciate it. We understand not everybody's able to support it, but those people who are allow us to do extra long seasons, bonus episodes, and allow us to do this show for free for everyone else listening around the world and all the other podcast services. So let's talk about Analyze that, shall we? <laughs> do we have to? We do. We do. I'm we need afraid. to talk about your feelings, Tim. Sit the fuck down. <laughs> Shoot this. Contractually obliged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That I think that's probably the most famous scene. I think the. No, it's it's pun, it's the pun, I, I I hit the pillow thing. Maybe. I don't think you're wrong. I think. It's a very famous scene. I think the most famous scene is literally just De Niro pointing and saying, you, you, you're good, you, and just you over and over. Mm. That gif, that image, I think is the most, you might not be able to place it in the right film, but yeah, I, I'll follow closely by the pillow easily. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was thinking like, if you think about Analyze This, which is the 1999 good film sure. that we're sequelizing with mm. 2002's Analyze That. That is the scene I thought of. Okay, I have seen that fair. scene somewhere before. Mm. Like, oh, it's the film with the shooting of the pillow, yeah. right? It was, that was in the trailer, yeah, I remember. It was. Exactly, it was, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing. And Mainly because it's the one good joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to open up with my history with these films. Sure. Because there's only two of them. We often do like, oh, the history of the franchise and the trans... How did you grow up with Transformers and all this kind of shit? Big nope. fan of the, of the analysed cinematic universe. <laughs> the ACU, yeah, the, if you the, will. The, yeah. the, the media empire. I read the comics when I was a kid. I had the action figures. <laughs> Robert De Niro oh with, with pillow shooting action. <laughs> yeah. They did that. I know Dark Horse did the anger management crossover in the 90s, but that was a bit, was a bit controversial. Um, yeah. Like I said, I had no history with this these two films before this was suggested for this season. I was aware that Analyze This existed. I had no idea it had a sequel, let alone a sequel that came out literally a few years later. Because mm. usually with a lot of these things, you get an example and then it's like, oh, and they did it 15 years too late and it's terrible and mm. all this kind of stuff. And like, well, three years later is like a totally reasonable span of time to do a sequel to a thing. But, I mean, a, but, most comedies tend to be like that because it's something that doesn't involve a lot of like pre-production work uh you yeah. strike while the mm -hmm. iron's hot it you know you've just got to get someone to sit down and write a bunch of jokes and then you can pretty much exactly go straight away while it's still in people's memories and they've still you know they've, they've watched the vhs kind of thing unfortunately the 
getting people to sit down and write a bunch of jokes seems to be where they failed. So failure at the first hurdle, I guess. <laughs> um, I thought both of these films were okay. I think the first oh, one is better than the second one. I don't know. Well, I think okay is probably okay is probably too nice to the second one. I think the first one is okay. I think Analyze This is fine. You it weren't offended by Analyze That. Yeah, offended would be the wrong word. I I was expecting more of a discrepancy in how much I enjoyed them. I expect to really like Analyze This and absolutely hate Analyze That. Okay. okay. I basically don't care about either one of them. I think the first one is Fair. clearly better, but I'm like, this isn't the classic, and we'll get to Rotten Tomatoes later on, listeners. I have no <laughs> idea, as you as we will no, find out. No. I can't imagine this is a classic sequelizer's drop of the back in the days when we were doing like it's 90 down to 30 and all this kind of stuff. They were both fine. N neither of them set me on fire. I thought there were some good jokes in the first one. I thought, like you said, Tim, there's like one or two in the second one. And that's about it. I think De Niro's performance is fine. Billy Crystal's performance is fine. There's a couple of other people who are also fine. Didn't blow me away, basically. <laughs> Welcome to the mediocre hour. <laughs> so I, pr I presume, I presume you watched them both in preparation for this episode. You you had not seen either of them. I very much did. Yes, back to back. Uh, yes, back to back. Yeah. Literally, I went for a wee and then came back <laughs> and watched the second one. So, <laughs> a, a, like a like a two minute break between the two of them. Mm -hmm. So yes, and not fussed by either one of them. Basically. Mm. <laughs> Uh, Matt, how about you? What's your history with the analyzed cinema? Now, here's, here's a weird thing. I do have a bit of history with this in theory. God, you have a history with everything. That's why I asked. What's well, my history? Um, so my history is actually <laughs> kind of my experience because of my age, basically. Now, analyze this came out, um, and I was like 14, 15 years old, and it's one of those rare things of an R-rated or 50 in this country comedy, because again, they're a tricky thing to do with big high profile names. It's like, well, no, let's, let's blood it down as it were. Um, but this is very much a parody of a lot of things going on at the same time. So again, analyze this was 1999. Uh, the Sopranos started up two months on TV. before it came out. Exactly. At the same fucking time. And was the same premise, but not a comedy. I mean, it kind of, you know, black comedic in places, but not a comedy as such. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of, you know, uh, we'll get to the plot synopsis in a second, don't worry, guys. But um, the idea of, you know, mobster has to go into therapy and he's all like toxic masculinity is like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I don't, uh, I don't talk to no doctors, no shrinks, thank you very much. Uh, no, none of head shrinking on me, thank you very much, you wackadoo. That kind of bullshit. Um, and it's just this entire generation of, no, I don't need to worry about my problems. And it's like, yeah, you do. And you particularly have a lot of problems. And as somebody who watched a lot of, gangster films mostly starting with like the 30s and things with uh cagney and such and then going on to untouchables godfather goodfellas that kind of thing i actually was really looking forward to analyze this and i saw it and i really enjoyed it because it's a parody of things i liked and it was a parody with people from said things done really well at the time it was actually quite funny some people said it was very obvious and yeah but it was good enough and the sopranos was real fucking good so <laughs> it was a, you know these sopranos is yeah amazing yeah then something changed. In 2000, the year later, De Niro's in Meet the Parents. De Niro's whole career, as we discussed on the Patreon episode, uh, also the Patreon additional bits, changes. He becomes a mm. funny man. Quote, unquote, yeah. funny man. <laughs> and then he comes back in 2002 with Analyze That, and the tone felt different. Now, obviously, 
watching it literally as, as Jack said, watch one, go for a piss, come back, watch the second one. It might not be as noticeable. But over a three-year gap, it was noticeable. One was a serious actor doing a serious role that happened to be funny because it was so hyper-dramatic and, high, uh, and uh, hyperbolic in a way. And so melodramatic. So, so silly. Yeah. Because you take the thing we take as a, a serious premise over the years and made it a silly, silly idea. Whereas Analyze That was going more for a straight comedy angle. And De Niro wasn't like playing it as the straight man anymore. He was singing and dancing and doing jerk-off That's jokes. That's the big and, shift. He yeah. goes from being the straight man to the Billy Crystal yeah. more wackiness. So for my... To then yeah. being part of the joke. Yeah, and from my personal experience, I went from this guy, the, the, the character Paul Vitti in the first film is a fucking De Niro character. He's just a scary, unhinged... Your motherfucking, I'll fucking kill you. That kind of like terrifying character you'd usually play in the 80s and 70s and 90s, arguably. The 2000s character's not at all. It's just the dad from Meet the Parents. Again, mm. he's just like, oh, he's a bit of a, mm, bit of a grumpy guy. He's like, he's a fucking murderer. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? And No, he's a car salesman. His antics are so crazy. Fine. So I, I genuinely hated it. But I recently revisited both of them. Analyze that is still dog shit to me. Analyze this just isn't as good as I remembered, but it's still pretty solid in my opinion. But it's hard to tell. I think I, I think the tonal shift was literally down to to Daenerys' general action because the the director's the same. It's Harold Ramis both times, and it's so weird because of that. But what about you, Tim? Um, well, I I, I I mean, obviously, we'll get a little bit more into this in the thing, but mm. it's it is weird how much this year is kind of a turning point for De Niro. Uh, yeah. uh nineteen ninety nine, which was an analyze this comes out because he'd done some comic roles before obviously he'd done like midnight run back in 88 um mm. and he'd done stuff mm. like jackie brown which is kind of a comic role in that and wag the yeah. dog yeah, to a degree. Uh, in 1997 but then in 1999 mm. he does analyze this and he does flawless uh which oh, is a God, garbage flawless. film uh mm. but he's, he's kind of a comedy and then the year after that, he does The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and Meet the Parents. Fuck that movie. Fucking hell. Um, and obviously he continues to do some dramas and stuff like that. But mm. it does seem like this switch has gone off in his head and he starts doing stuff like Shark Tale and <laughs> fucking Arthur and the Invisibles and mm. Everybody's Fine and stuff like that. And it and it just and we talk a lot about this in the in the outtakes. We did we did a, a quiz on Robert De Niro's Drek, basically. Mm-hmm. And so much <laughs> of it is from the last 20 years. And so much of his stuff before that is is impeccable cinema. Yeah. Bobby's um, bad century. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The BBC. <laughs> <laughs> he did not do well. He, Y2K hit and uh, something mm. went wrong in his brain. <laughs> um, what, it, I just want to throw out a bit of a statistic here for you, Tim. Sorry to interrupt. But um, I remember at the time there was a lot of like, oh, he's in this film. And, and just like shortly after it, people started like Sopranos and things. And I remember, I don't know if this is purely US audience or if it's both, but I remember at the time people were saying, this film, and it was, it was you know, 90, late 90s, so, you know, I mean, fuck it, it's, it, 2021, the headlines wouldn't be good headlines, the yeah. wording would be terrible, but the headlines at the time, so the, the wording was, it's a hit with the ladies, because the audience skewed more to women than men watching it, in terms of the demographic. Um, not like major, like a yeah. huge amount, but like, that's an interesting shift, and nobody seemed to know why, or if it was anything because of it, <laughs> um, but um, I think that continued, apparently, through the comedy stuff, it's like, huh. I don't, I don't want to see his films where he's like, you know, playing a guy who beats the shit out of someone 
or you know this fucking rapist um in like cape fear or something like that but <laughs> I watch yeah. him where he's a funny, angry guy. Like, he reminds me of my dad. It's like, oh, okay. That's a weird thing. But for some reason, Analyze This, yeah, didn't didn't track with the audience it was kind of pitching to. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know if that's some sub- subliminal, like, mm, therapy. Mm, no, thank you. But I, yes, it was... It was. I do actually... Fun. When I was watching Analyze This, uh, re-watching, because I'd, I'd seen it... I think it was on... I saw it on TV in, like, the mid-2000s and I don't sure. think I saw all of it. I think I watched a chunk of it and was like, I'm not particularly enjoying this. Um, mm. But so, yeah, I watched it again slash for the first time properly uh, recently and I was watching it and I was like, you know what, Robert De Niro, this might be the last time Robert De Niro was kind of sexy oh. because he has <laughs> like in, in, in the 70s and 80s, he has, you know, he's not a conventionally attractive man, but he's got mm. he's got something about him. Um, and I, I remember having, yeah, switching on, analyze this and being like, oh, he, Robert De Niro doesn't look bad here. Like he still kind of looks like he does in his, you know, iconic earlier roles. And then you get to analyze that mm. and it's like, oh no, we are, we are in full blown fucking. Bloaty old man. Yeah. He's, a, he's a, the dad. A lot man. has changed yeah. in those past two years. And dad as in not daddy. I think Nicholson not did the same thing. Daddy. Yeah. Where it's yeah, like, yeah, Nicholson has a weirdly similar trajectory as well. I think mm. Alec Baldwin did too. I think basically a lot of people did, yeah. except Kurt Russell. He's fine. Yeah, Kurt Russell's still sexy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, like I say, I'd seen, I'd seen bits and pieces of analyze this, but not enough. It wasn't when I watched it. It wasn't enough to engage me to not mm. like I don't know switch on the PS2 or something. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had not seen analyze that uh watch them both for this analyze this i thought it's fine it's harmless um it's there's a few good jokes in it i think the performances are more or less yep. fine analyze that i hated <laughs> um oh, <man>. because <laughs> uh you know it's 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 like three stack says you know what's what's cooler than being cool ice cold what's worse than being bad being boring uh and this <laughs> film is fucking boring and a mess there are Mm. i don't know eight or nine plot threads in this film most of which are never and to call them plot threads is a little bit a montage of plot threads (laughs) Uh, there's there's a bunch of stuff going on in this film basically and most of it is never resolved to any kind of plot or emotional satisfaction Um, Mm. and in fact the film doesn't like the first film you feel like, oh, okay, like this character's had this, you know, obviously it's not been conventional therapy because he's a gangster, um, but he's there's been some kind of resolution. To... Imagine that voiceover happening in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to go to therapy, but it's not conventional therapy because he is a gangster. There is something oh. new about Dr. Whatever's new client. Um, ben uh, Sobel. There we go. Um, I was I was paying attention. Um, Doctor Sobel thought he'd saw everything on the yeah. couch <laughs> until Paul Vitti walked in. And there's Billy Crystal like shrugging, like, "Whoa, I thought I'd seen everything." Yeah, um, yeah. Analyze that. It just kind of ends. Like, there's no. <laughs> there's no yeah, it really. Waiting to be at the fucking synopsis point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I really didn't like this film because it, it's such a mess. It's not entertaining. I don't think there's ever a good joke in it. 
Um, mm. It's dull, it's not funny, and it doesn't parody anything cleverly. No. I mentioned about the first one, it's like it sends up a lot of these form, these sort of, not only the type of movies and scenarios, but the characters specifically. It's it's mm. a lot of like, ah, yeah. bad Italians can't go through fences. Um, <laughs> um, there's lots of like that type, also that, 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 that you know, my father, my, my yeah. head of my family, and I don't want to be him. And it addresses things that people weren't talking about at the time. Analyze that does nothing. Yeah. And it, it seems to have no idea of what kind of, like, beyond, we want to make more money. Uh, yeah. It has no idea what kind of, like... That's what it boils down to, isn't it? The yeah, tonally or, like, thematically or what the characters want. Like, nothing is consistent. Yeah. Nothing is thought through at all. It feels so rushed. It feels so... Like, mm. we just filmed a bunch of scenes as they came to us, and then we tried to edit it together into a coherent movie, and it didn't really work. Again, I feel like it's the sense of, this is an R-rated comedy, which didn't cost a lot to make, and made a lot of money by comparison, um, and subsequently did well with a different demographic that that kind of comedy wouldn't usually strike with, mm. so I guess we need to make another one. What's the natural story with this? That doesn't matter. And the same way, like, oh, well, meet the parents, then meet the other parents, then have a baby. Problem solved, easy. Mm. And it's like, okay, what's the natural progression of analyze this? Uh, he goes crazy? Okay. Well, Actually, I, we'll get to the... Yeah. We'll get to... Let's get into it. So yes. for those of you listeners who haven't seen it, and for this season, as a, bringing it back from the good old days, we do a little synopsis for the earlier films, the good films, as it were, <laughs> and the bad sequel. And... Mr. Stogden, I believe it is your responsibility to synopsize the Analyze Cinematic Universe. <laughs> synopsize <It> this! <laughs> synopsize this, you fuck. Um, right, here's the thing. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do just that. I'm going to point out right now that Analyze That, the synopsis is about a third of the length of Analyze This. <laughs> because I, 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 I noticed a, this earlier. And I was like, yeah, like, yeah, a, third, like a third of this movie is here plot-wise. Now, another thing I'm going to point out Analyze this, analyze that, and spoilers for later, I'm doing the, the fixing. My, uh, my actual pitch for a proposed sequelized sequel, they don't read like comedies because the situation <laughs> isn't the funny thing. Um, it's the way they reacted to it. Uh, yeah, I kind of ran into this with the Evan Almighty thing. <laughs> yeah. I did. It's like, how do, you, how do you write a comedy? It's like, funny. It's like we, like we talk about with our pitches and actions. Like, mm. cool action scene happens here insert funny joke <laughs> yeah. like, you can you can insert little bits of comedy but like the point of this film is that or the these films i guess mm -hmm. but mainly the first one is that it's not the situations themselves that are funny it's how paul and ben are reacting to each other and that's the whole yeah it's mm. their dynamic and their fish out of water kind of thing very much so matters. it's, it's like, like if i oh where's all the ham and he's like oh he's surrounded by jews oh no like, that's an actual right. joke from the sequel uh, i it sounds like uh, i'm making that up listeners Dude, oh my get some fucking bacon in here and everybody goes <gasps> And Billy Crystal goes, oh, you can't have the bacon, we're all Jewish. It's like, yeah, we know you. Your name's Ben Sobel, for fuck's sake. We know you're Jewish. Isn't it like, uh, who I got to fuck around here? No, well, not you. You're ugly. And he's like doing his dressing up. Yes. Yeah. 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 He says that to Ben. It's, it's the kind of thing where you. Whatever. I, th I think it's like when I, if I was describing the contents to my gran or my mum, they would say, that sounds like. And a panic attack. That sounds like an awful thing. Why would you. Why would someone go through that? That sounds What's, like you're making that up, Matthew. What? Why would you make that what? up? 
why is that funny? That's that's terrible. That man is having a horrible time. It's like, I know it's funny, because never mind. <laughs> Fuck off. Anyway, right. So analyze this. You ready? Shortly before a meeting of the heads of the New York Mafia families is to take place, mob boss Paul Vitti's consigliere is assassinated, and while he narrowly escapes, he suffers a panic attack. With the hit likely organized by rival mafiosa Primo Sirone, um, Paul finds himself unable to function in his role as head of the criminal family. Paul's associate, Jelly, <laughs> recommends a psychiatrist whose car he accidentally hit a few nights prior, ensuring confidentiality as word getting out about Paul telling his secrets to a doctor could be fatal. Paul, it, it's a comedy. Paul meets with Ben Sobel, the aforementioned psychiatrist, who is fairly nervous and suffers his own issues in relation to his successful parents, growing bored of his patients and his pending marriage. Um, Paul feels the brief meeting alone has cured him and praises Ben. Yo, yo, and then leaves. And Ben's very traumatized by the whole experience. Ben then travels to Miami for his wedding, but as Paul's sexual performance is suffering, he and his men follow, and he insists on more counseling. During the wedding, Jelly thwarts an assassination attempt, leading to Ben and his fiancée, Laura, confronting Paul. Paul, in turn, calls Primo to explain his feelings, but then loses his temper and threatens to kill him. Ben returns to New York to find the FBI waiting for him. They play a doctored recording of Paul saying he will kill Ben, which prompts the psychiatrist to reluctantly wear a wire. Ben meets with Paul, but gets rid of the wire when he makes a breakthrough and realizes that Paul's favorite restaurant is the one in which his father was killed. His father also being uh, a mob boss back in the day. Paul, informed that the FBI have got to Ben and he is a liability, is pressured to kill him. But the two men argue and Paul comes to the realization that he blames himself for his father's death. Ben's wedding is rescheduled for the day of the big mafia meeting which Jelly interrupts, explaining that Paul has had a debilitating panic attack and Ben must go in his place. Ben poses as his consigliere, winding Primo up and exposing his hot-headedness to the other family heads. Paul then arrives at the meeting and explains he bears no ill will and wishes to retire from the life of crime. Unable to understand this motive, Primo threatens Paul and his men, but the meeting is raided by the FBI. In the chaos, Ben is pushed in the line of fire and takes a bullet for Paul who believes this was a brave act of sacrifice. Primo's killed in jail, Ben finally gets married, and Paul agrees to serve out his sentence. It's a comedy! <laughs> Hilarious. I don't think it's it's unique in that there's a lot of great comedies out there that when you write down the plots, they don't actually sound funny, but it's down to... Yep. Delivery. It's down to delivery. Like it's you know, And it's, it's why Absolutely. it's kind of yeah. hard to write pitches for them as well. But we'll get into them. <laughs> this is true. It's, it's, as, as, as someone who's done a web series, a comedy web series with, with these two guys, a lot of time it comes down to, on paper, it just looks like a flat line. It's like, yeah, but if you say it like this, or ah, you make it much funnier, and these guys know what they're doing. Mm. Analyze that. So before we move on to analyze mm -hmm. that, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Chaz Palmentieri. Mm. Yeah. Him as Primo. He's he is great. Fantastic. One of like De Niro's best friends. One of the one of the standout performances for the first for the first. He's role. a great actor. He doesn't get enough yeah. uh, decent roles, in my opinion. Yeah, he's one of those like. So everybody go and go and Google <laughs> Chaz, and then P A L M I N T E R I, and you'll go. Oh, that guy. Yeah, the Italian mob <laughs> boss looking bloke. Yeah, because he looks like yeah. an Italian. Mob Except boss. he's playing cop in uh, Usual Suspects. Yeah. That's that's the yep, main thing I know him from. He's he's great in that. Yeah. But you still think he's like on the take because he's him. <laughs> Usual suspects, a Bronx Tale. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he's in loads of other stuff. You see his face, you're like that guy. That makes that makes <laughs> yeah. a lot of sense. Oh, that guy. Mm -hmm. And I had that moment of like, oh, that guy. I've seen him. In like, <laughs> what the fuck is that guy's name? 
and yeah, he he's great. He's fantastic a, as the essentially the villain mm. of the first film. Yeah, those those two riffing off each other, it, even like very distantly because they don't share a lot of scenes. It's the animosity they mm. share off screen is believable. Anyway, yeah, yep. He's not in analyze that unfortunately. <laughs> Because he's killed at the end of the first one, yeah. as we said. Yeah, unfortunately. Analyze that. Fearing for his life in prison, Paul feigns insanity and the FBI contract Ben to determine if his ailment is legitimate. Paul is then... Hilarious. It's... A lot of singing. Paul is then released from <laughs> for a month to undergo Sounds therapy. Sounds like Matt's making that up, listeners. I'm, I'm not. He's not. Nothing like faking the insanity plea. Because that always works with mm. just singing. Paul is then released for a month to undergo therapy and then agrees to try his hand at lawful employment, but is continually fired for his brash manner. Paul eventually finds a job as a technical advisor for a mafia-centric TV show. Everybody sigh. <sighs> what, what could that be a reference to, Matthew? I have no idea. Yeah. He learns that the Ragazzi family wants him dead and he absconds. The FBI tell Ben that he has 24 hours to find Paul. Ben's son, Michael, is working as Paul's chauffeur. Yep. And Ben yep. learns that Paul is planning on an armored truck heist with a former ally, Patty Lapresti. Um, the heist goes ahead, but Lapresti reveals she is actually working with the Ragazzi family. Ah, oh, oh, it's no. a betrayal. Ben lashes out and beats one of them, allowing them to frame the Ragazzi family for the heist and preventing a mob war. The fucking end. <laughs> it just stops. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. The film has. I mean, I've lived out. Let's say like, they go to a restaurant. Oh, he's got the wrong kind of medication. Oh, scenes, and it's just filler shit. It's there's so little actual plot in this film. You you forgot to mention that they sing another West Side Story song at the end. Oh, they do down under the bridge. Yeah. There's even more me. singing. <laughs> and then it... You missed out the amount of and singing. And then it ends with a shot of what's meant to be young Paul, a.k.a. young Robert De Niro, dressed as a cowboy with his dad, as if that's giving you some kind of closure, closure on yeah. the plot. God, yeah. it does. <laughs> I forgot Jesus about that. Christ. Sorry, that's vitally... Yeah. <laughs> Matt, how did you leave out these crucial plot points? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I failed How you. How could you? I failed you. I failed you. <laughs> I let you down. Let down the side. So yeah, listeners, that's those two films. As Matt said, and it, and it, as is kind of reflected by the entire thing, the first one is a lot more interesting than the second one. There's a lot more going on that is actually relevant to the stuff, hence why the synopsis is twice as long yeah. as the second film. Because the second film just feels like filler. It feels like... Hey, remember people enjoyed Paul Vitti from the first film? Let's put him in silly, funny situations. People like that character. Look at him. He's trying to sell a car. I don't give a fuck if you buy the car, mm. you piece of shit, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm. yep. That, I mean, sure. I, yep, doesn't, doesn't do anything for me, but okay. It feels like Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal got together and decided to write, like, sketch comedy and then and then <laughs> analyze that is just like the framing narrative because there's mm. so it's like you say there's there's like a scene where oh they go to a restaurant and uh Billy Crystal's character has has taken too much medication and so he's talking funny yeah. and it's not at all funny and it goes on for fucking ever mm -hmm. and i mean we were saying that there's some great performances in in the first one neither Billy Crystal or Robert De Niro are that 
are good in the second one. They are playing up to their broader sides, and and it's terrible. very much so. And very there's so. also fucking some awful performances from supporting characters. The guy who plays the TV producer oh, slash director, God. yes, uh, who's doing a terrible fake British accent. I don't even know who the fuck that is. Uh, I can't. He's he's not well known as an actor. He's not a person. Don't, um, don't worry. I think about, yeah. he does a bit more uh, stage stuff than he does. Um, sure. He also played a director on Friends at one point, doing a similar oh terrible British accent. Apparently, if with the, with, is that the Lisa Kudrow connection right there? Possibly, no? yeah. Oh my god, that probably is, isn't it? That's the universe. Yeah, we forgot to mention Lisa Kudrow in... plays Billy Crystal's uh, fiance slash uh, wife. Yeah, I was very confused. She by gets that. so sidelined so quickly. Yeah, and she yeah. Her, she is she like the moments where she actually gets something to do, she's great. Um, yeah. she's always been yeah. a, like a comic yeah. actress I like, but yeah, she does not get a lot to do in these films. Not at all. Not at um, all. yeah. And the, oh God, that, that director character is so irritating. And so <laughs> nobody acts like the first film, like, yeah, it can get a bit broad in places and stuff like that. And you know, the, the monologue that, uh, Matt did at the beginning is a bit, you know, silly <sighs> yeah. as the kind of the comic finale of it. But Everyone more or less acts like humans. Uh, and in the second film, no one's fucking acting like a human. Mm. Yeah, they like we said earlier, it's like they like turn them into parodies of themselves. Mm. Like, oh yeah, this is what made the first f- movie funny. We've got Billy Crystal. He's the, he's the guy with the psychiatrist job, I guess. Like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll do that. And then... For some reason, he's given an ultimatum by the FBI, and they're like, "Wait, what?" Like, "No, no, no, stay with me, stay with me." And then, so he, Paul, fakes insanity, right? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, stick with me, stick with me. Like, no, you've already made like three leaps of logic yeah. there. He gets, he like, gets in the first like fifteen minutes of the fucking film. You're like, "Wait, what?" He gets released to live with Sobel, Ben Sobel, and then, but doesn't like, doesn't have a fucking ankle monitor on it or anything like that he's just like they're like oh no we can't release this the guy honor system because he's got uh, and he's got a parole hearing coming up he'll never get it but uh, he might get it um if he can prove it as like so he'll come live with you and get therapy but also he has to go out and get a, he's not allowed to leave your house but also he does have to go out and get a job it's like what the f- like what <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's 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 scenario fodder isn't it it's things to do and the thing is yeah. Do you think they did like improv comedy and they just did like, okay, um, mafia guy in a restaurant. Perfect. Mafia guy in car dealership. Done. Uh, mafia guy working in jewelry store. Done. Problem solved. I, That's the whole no, script right there. Fuck it. I go one step further. Mean? I go one step further. <laughs> I have a, I have a scenario in my head of how this went down and it's going to sound bad because okay. it's a, it's my, you know, impression of producers and it's just a producer saying uh what if we get uh like a hot-headed italian and an erotic jew and both of them are in the same room <laughs> and they hate each other an erotic jew. <laughs> <laughs> the most erotic jew billy is crystal. obviously billy crystal erotic no, a neurotic jewish guy because obviously you got you know, like all got psychiatry you got all the woody allen sort of stuff and you got the richard dreyfus in what about bob this is a, a thing it's like is that a thing sure jews are always about therapy are they in the films you're producing, maybe. And it's like, and Italians, they always love to beat people up. It's like, okay. And then in the second film, it's like, okay, we've got, we got a hit on our hands here. Let's change it up. What about? And I'm paying me the fuck out here. What if 
We have a neurotic Italian and a hot-headed Jew, but he doesn't want to be hot-headed. Oh my God, you see? It's like, you're talking shit. And yet somehow, <laughs> Harold Ramis, ghost-busting-ass Harold Ramis, director of fucking Groundhog Day, and not a lot of else that's worth knowing, directed these movies. Yeah, it's weird. You touched upon that earlier, Matt. It's basically the same, like, crew. A lot of problems we have with sequels is when, oh, the original director didn't come back. Oh, oh, they couldn't get the lead from the first film. So imagine, like, Billy Crystal came back, but he's working with someone else. And, oh, no, now it's Al Pacino. And it's just a <laughs> half-hearted, bullshit version of Bobby De Niro's character. I heard you like working would, with yeah. Italians. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be exactly what I would think of. as like, oh, this is a shit sequel. Ramus couldn't come back and blah, blah, and all fell apart. And Billy Crystal's the only one who's got the rights anymore. So they ended up doing this thing. Like, everybody's back. Why doesn't this work? Oh my God, what have you guys done? I think I know the missing ingredient here. You fuck with the sauce. Mm. Um, uh, because it, it was a name that came up in the credits. And I was like, that, that can't be the same person that I'm mm. thinking of, can it? And then I looked it up and I, I was like, it fuck me, it is. Mm -hmm. uh, the first film is written, at least in part, by Kenneth Lonergan. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. Who, yeah. for people who don't recognize that name, uh, went on uh, to. He's a very famous playwright, has written some really great plays. Mm. Uh, one uh, that have been nominated for like um, Tony Awards and Olivier Awards and stuff like that. Yep. Um, at, a year after this, uh, a year after Analyze This, I should say. <laughs> uh, he, he went on, he did do some writing on Adventures of Rocky and Bullwink, Winkle, was which say, was yeah. clearly De Niro <laughs> going, hey, you're a good writer, you come with me and try and make this piece oh, of shit no. not terrible. Um, <laughs> but he also makes a film, You Can Count On Me, writing, writing and directing, which mm. is generally considered to be like Mark Ruffalo's big breakout. Uh, it's it him is, and yeah. Laura Linney, ah, I want to say. Right. Mm. Um Gets a load of nominations for that, like best screenplay nominations, best like first feature and stuff like that. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. Like Sundance Awards, Writers Guild of America Awards, Independent Spirit Awards, uh, nominated for Academy Awards and stuff like that. Mm, wow. Goes on to write uh, Gangs of New York. Oh, I really, I really wow. like the film. Okay. And then goes on to write and direct uh, Margaret, which is uh, not widely seen, but is considered to be one of the best films of the new millennium. Uh, and mm -hmm. Manchester by the Sea, uh, which obviously won Harrowing, but brilliant. a, a butt-ton of awards, got won the Best Original Screenplay Oscar, won Best Screenplay uh, BAFTA. Mm -hmm. You know, this th he is an extremely good writer and is turning yeah. into a very good director. And I could not believe that he fucking wrote this film. But mm. when you compare the first one, which he did write, and the second one, which he didn't, it is the reality starts to make a lot yeah, more sense the, yeah. the the first one is kind of moored in reality and there's a kind of emotional through line to what the two mm. main characters are going through and the second yeah. one just throws all that aside because it's like hey but what if you know what if he comes out and his his, his robe is open <laughs> and the grandma sees his cock <laughs> <laughs> and things lonigan's from the bronx he knows the people oh, wow. basically he's mm. obviously from an irish family but it's still like you know you grow up in the area you can talk about new york you can talk about these kind of things and it's not it's it's not like oh i was with the you know like, like scorsese for example with mean streets it's just him talking about his experience with the people he knew and ran with and stuff like that you know and and i think it's 
you don't have to be exactly in that crowd specifically to understand that crowd if you're from the same fucking neighborhood. Mm. You know, you, you, you do get a certain glean, glean of things and you understand things and you can make insightful comments. In the same way that if you watch the horror movies, you can make a very good horror parody in theory because you know the tropes, you know the cliches, you know the sort of the the, the buzzwords and the, and the bits and pieces like that. And I think Analyze This is a... It's frustrating because it can't exist as a standalone, in my opinion. You can't just watch it and go, oh, this is a thing. I think mm. you have to have some sort of understanding of general 80s and 70s and to a degree 90s mafia films. Mm. That sort of yeah. wave of well, it's, yeah. it's parodying that you have yeah, to, yeah or at least, at least the, the tropes you, associated with yeah it. and if you're watching yeah, a film where yeah. they like like again uh, a Jewish guy as a therapist or sees a therapist that sort of because um, again the twist on it's like I'm a therapist but at the same time my life's falling apart and it's like yeah well you know like I, I, I thought it'd be perfect I thought I thought my family life would be fine because I'm a therapist my father's a therapist I hate him and it's like it's a very it's it's a it's a well trodden trope in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, especially it's a very New York sort of feel to it in that regard. Um, but at the same time, once you s- sort of pull that away and you've got people coming in who may have not have any sort of experience with it, aren't really parodying anything in particular, just trying to do another thing, you end up with something that doesn't really feel like it's saying anything on a psychi- psychiatric sort of or psychological mm-hmm. level at all. Because there's actually some very blunt, simple insight into the first film and it works it, fine. It's It's such a like baby's first understanding of therapy uh, <laughs> example of stuff because of like of course they reference yeah. like freud and edible like stuff even though mm-hmm. like unless fuck your own mother this guy's fucking sick yeah, yeah unless yeah. unless your like yeah. character is a strict freudian like they're unlikely yeah. to bring that stuff up and it like i mean that that is therapy like psychotherapy is so often misrepresented in fiction and especially in film and tv um yeah because it's because the the it tends to be that therapy work is actually a it's that it's work it's slow um and it's uh laborious and it's it's Mm. the 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 analogy that they use in rick and morty is actually really great it's like brushing your teeth like it's not actually that exciting but you need to do it because you know you don't want your teeth falling out of your head and you don't yeah. want and if you haven't you had don't your, want teeth your brain falling out your head either <laughs> yeah and if you haven't had your teeth brushed in like 20 years and get a proper dental clean and they're like I, every i can feel everything it's like yeah it feels like that way now you're not gonna get that experience every single time yeah you're gonna get like just the whole like ah is this uh how it is that's like yeah it's healthy now you fucking idiot yeah but even then it's gonna be <laughs> gradual as you say yeah it's, it's a great analogy um, and Yes, but that's, that. that's not dramatic. <laughs> uh, so therapy no. in in fiction tends to be full of like breakthroughs and and fun prop work where we can like show you uh, um, fucking uh, Rorschach in ink blots yes. uh, and stuff like that. Uh, and why do you see a bat chase Meridian? Oh no, it's not it's you, you Bruce Wayne. You see a bat? Oh no! <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, yeah. So and I think it gets worse in that regard in the second one um, very lazy it's it's incredibly lazy writing and there's there's oh, there's there's no at least the first one is kind of understandable it's like okay he's he's a 
tough guy who suddenly find himself dealing with like anxiety and like and basically like PTSD almost like he it it, tr- it literally starts with like a triggering event for him where his friend yeah. and like longtime colleague is killed and he almost like if he hadn't gone back into the restaurant he would have died and like mm. and that's the thing that shakes him up and that makes sense you know mm. um and of well, course the, the, the writing is 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 breadcrumbed well mm. In the sense that, I mean, we were talking about, he's like, you know, baby's first steps of, in terms of like therapy. His father was killed in a restaurant when he was a kid. He blames himself for freezing and seeing it and not mm. being able to do anything because he felt like he was weak. And his friend has recently been killed at the start of the film, which triggers his panic attack. Mm. And he hasn't, and it, like all therapy, you can't make the link yourself. Someone as a, as a neutral party tends to just talk to you about things and you make the conclusion yourself and go, ah, I've had a breakthrough. I've had mm. a something. It doesn't fix it there and then. It's not done. Yeah. But, mm. but it's, it's a step. And I think the film, in terms of basic writing for audiences to understand, works fine. Mm. The cinematography is fine. The music's fine. It plays like a straight film. It works. It's it's nonsense because, good Christ, Lisa Kudrow is patient. <laughs> 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 but uh, and the FBI, I, I love that the FBI played very much more of the bad guys than the actual fucking criminals. Yeah. <laughs> Jelly's nice. He's Jelly. Come on. Yeah. Everyone's a friend. Like, hey, duck, you gotta come with me. Uh, uh, you need. When I say you gotta go, and he's like, he's like waking him up while he's in bed. Hey, duck, duck. He's like, how'd you get in here? Oh, you gotta, gotta come with me. And the FBI's like, we've doctored this evidence, <laughs> so now you're gonna t- wear a wiring puff to get yourself yeah. killed, and I don't care if you die. And he's like, wow, <laughs> I like Jelly. <laughs> um, and I think another part where analyze that really falls down is that like. The best parts of Analyze This are Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal interacting. Like it yep. is them developing a dynamic and, uh, you know, explore, you know, and, and, and yeah, you know, it's obviously kind of stereotypical roles for both, but it is that it's a macho, uh, very closed off guy being kind of slowly coaxed out by a quite neurotic, but, but emotionally intelligent sure. therapist. They don't share. Uh, like it feels like they don't spend a lot of time together in analyze that there's so much time spent where it's just like robert de niro and some supporting characters like fucking around on the set of this um uh mafia tv show that they get involved with and yeah Yeah, him going off and getting his like day jobs is just like separate him from billy crystal why would you do that that's a terrible fucking idea you know and and i don't think like Robert De Niro can obviously do comedy to a certain extent. Like he's funny in this film, he's funny in other films, not as funny as he thinks, probably. Um, but <laughs> like, no one turned to his face because he'd smash you. <laughs> but it's but it's the thing of like, oh yeah, if you pair him with someone like Billy Crystal, then you can get good comedy because Billy Crystal's a great improviser and yep. can like be a generous performer to like give Robert De Niro the moments that he needs and to play off him well and stuff like that. If you just go, Hey, Robert De Niro, you've got to be the funny one in this scene. Mm. Like rather than they keep switching back and forth of like, who's the straight man and who's the, the the wackier character in, especially in the second one. Like they do a little bit in the first film, but for Mm. the most part, it's kind of like, no, they're both, obviously they're both like a little bit wacky because, because, um, uh, yeah. Ben is is quite neurotic, but mm. he is he is more kind of he's panicking. he's the surrogate of us. He's in yeah. that world. He's the fish out of water. He, exactly, you're going to sympathise with him. Yeah, he is he is a fish out of water, but he's also in a way he's kind of the he's the the, the normal guy. So he's kind of the straight yes. man. And then 
Paul is like this bigger than life mafiosa guy um, who shoots stuff and, you know, uh, yeah. instead of instead of punching pillows and stuff like that. And then in the second film, it just like they're both just full strength wacky for most of the part, for most of their their time. And it just doesn't it just doesn't work. It does. There's a bit at the end where where Billy Crystal, I mean, they, they realize they've been betrayed, basically. And Crystal finally gets to let loose. And he starts smacking him in the face. And he's like, you want a fresh one? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I know you're trying to do the whole like, oh, look, they're so close. They've been reversing the, the mm. traits and things. As I said before, like the hot-headed Jill versus the neurotic mm. Italian. And it's like, but it doesn't, it just kind of doesn't feel right for the characters. It doesn't feel like no. what we're watching. It feels out like of nowhere. And it literally feels like a sucker punch. And for and for a film that essentially the, the the plot of the first film is like, hey, maybe you don't need to be a violent criminal. Maybe you can leave that world behind and you don't have to fall like your father wanted better for you and you feel you've you let him down by letting him die and you feel you let him yeah. down by moving into this life. Like maybe you can move beyond that. And it ends with with Paul going, I retire, I'm going to serve my time and, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then sure. in Analyze That, it's like, hey, he's straight back in, he gets out of prison, he starts doing a load of cons, he's doing an armoured robbery, and then... Fucking armoured truck heist. And, uh, and then how does it end? Like, what's hey, the point of the first one then? There's yeah. All that growth just... And then, hey, at the end, Ben's also violent and hot-headed. And it's like, I thought yep. the whole point of the first film was to, hey, maybe that's not the most healthy way to deal with things. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle and it's going to end badly. Change your fucking ways. <laughs> we should fix it. We should. We should absolutely fix it. Well, you should, Matt. <gasps> Before we get to fixing the episode, we need to uh, pay a couple of bills. Give the guys a few folded notes, you know? <laughs> Gotta get the bills paid. Uh, sometimes when your feet have been... Uh, left in concrete and you've been chucked in the river, <laughs> you'll notice that they start to ache after a while, if you don't drown. Um, that's why today's episode is brought to you by Fulton, a modern brand of arch support. Fulton launched the most comfortable, supportive, and sustainable insole on the planet. Fulton believes wellness starts from the ground up and that the feet are the foundation of our bodies. Fulton insoles offer comfortable arch support to align your body from head to toe, mitigating pain, providing comfort, and improving posture. Fulton is creating a world where the shoes we wear are actually good for our bodies, providing you with a sturdier foundation for a healthier future. Now, just from a personal note here, um, I have a lot of feet issues in that I hate feet. Um, and I wear heel <laughs> boots because I've got like sunken arches. My wife has plantar fasciitis, so we do have insoles and stuff like that. And they are genuinely... I don't want to say life-changing, but can be life-changing. It's genuinely a good thing. Matt is the anti-Tarantino. I am the anti-Tarantino. Cover your feet up. The anti-Rantino. Bye, Jack. Carry on. <laughs> Fulton is offering our listeners $10 off your next purchase at walkfulton.com by using the code PODCAST10. That's code PODCAST10 for $10 off at walkfulton.com. W-A-L-K-F-U-L-T-O-N dot com. Check out the website to see how Fulton can support you. Yo. Yo. Support Yo. you with your feet. I get it. I yeah, get, you get it. it. So before we get to fixing, it's time to fire up the old tomatometer and take a look clang, at clang, 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 clang. Take a look at some of these scores. Whether whether it's a a, a nice uh, ripe tomato that can belong in like a pudinesca sauce, or it's a stinky <laughs> rotten tomatoes that 
go straight in the bin, you chump. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so, very simple this week. We've got two films. Analyze yep. this. Analyze that. Matt, we'll go, go to you first for Analyze This. What do you think? 72%, Tim. Straight in there. I don't fuck around. And this voice will go eventually, don't worry. Uh, Jack. Oh we're, we're reading the whole pitch in Italian. Oh, God's damn right. Awful. <laughs> and Offending I'll, everybody. I'll, I'll be the token, I'll be the token <laughs> Jew. You guys can be Italian-Americans. Everything's fine. Uh, I will go 69, dude. Nice. <laughs> Uh, and we should say, of course, lower. Rotten Tomatoes is an aggregate score based on reviews of six out yep. of ten or equivalent or better. Uh, sometimes a different film entirely. Some, or sometimes a different film entirely. <laughs> uh, it's not necessarily a reflection of uh, how good the film is, etc., etc. But saying all that. But it is funny. But it, so is, that's why we but it, it. is funny. Saying all that, that, comma, analyze. Jack. <laughs> Where where does where it's does the second be, film like fall? It's got to be lower, yeah, be but I don't think it's hugely lower. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for a 25 drop off, so 44. That's like a huge yeah. drop. <laughs> that's, no, it's not a. We've seen 50 and we've seen 70 percent before. <laughs> yeah, it's not an egg, but yeah, yeah, Matthew. I'm going to give it an 18, Tim. 18. 18. Wow. Whoa. Actually, I think probably close to Jack 25, but uh, whatever you said, but I, I think... I have absolutely no but, idea. But I like, like the... In yeah. general, how well received the second no, one. No, Because like I said, I thought it was fine, but the more we've talked about <laughs> it, the more I hate it. And like my review my review and my brain was like, ah, it's whatever. It's offensive. Like, you no, know, I'm offended Yeah, but now. that scene didn't work. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That, did, that scene didn't work. And then... Yeah, but that scene made no sense. Like, you're right. That scene didn't make any sense. Maybe, maybe it is lower. But yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I feel no it's a big idea. drop off. Because I feel like for some of them, you can kind of work it out if it's like a big franchise and it's one of the examples is famous or whatever. You can kind of work it out. But I have no idea. <laughs> so please enlighten me, Tim. So for analyze this, you both managed to analyze this pretty well. You were very close. <laughs> Mm. Okay. Uh, I mean, you were only three three points apart in your guesses. Yeah, uh, Matt, yeah. you went seventy two. Jack, you went sixty nine. Sixty six percent for analyze this. Oh, that is a lot lower than I thought it would be. Mm. And interestingly, user score sixty two. Weird. Wow. Weird. So not not super popular amongst. Like I said, I, I don't think it. It not necessarily it hasn't aged well, but like just didn't do much mm -hmm. for me as a as a brand new viewer in 2021 no, no. like i was like yeah eh, i'm aware of both de niro and and all the references it's making all that kind mm. of stuff i've seen the sopranos but yeah yeah, yeah. I, that doesn't surprise yeah. me that's what i'm saying hence my 69 now if i analyze that uh a yeah. little bit further this apart is the tricky one. matt went for 18 percent. jack went for 44 i can tell you it's between Wait, i thought jack went with 24 no, I went with forty four. Oh. I went for a a drop a drop of twenty five percent oh. from sixty nine to forty four. Oh, I would have uh, when Jack. Oh, okay. My apologies. I completely misunderstood that. I thought Jack was dropping to twenty five, and uh -huh. I was like, oh, that's what number I was going to go for. No, no, no. Oh. no I was dropping twenty five to forty four. Does that mean you want to change your guess, Matthew? Nah, nah. It's all good, man. Okay. No, my my guess shouldn't affect. No, your it's guess. all right. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking I, about. I can tell you that it is in between your two guesses. Oh, oh, interesting. Uh, it, in fact, is 27%. Oh, 
Wow. See, that's so, what I would have fucking thought. Yeah. Matt is Matt is closer with that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, for people who, uh, when you listen to the outtakes for this episode, we did a quiz about uh, Robert De Niro roles that got under forty percent. So analyze that would have qualified uh, for that for that it's quiz. One of them. Um, and a user score of thirty nine percent. So no, oh. not a huge amount better. But the public still liked it. The bastards. Well, they liked it to 30, 39% of the public liked it. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's still, still over not. 20% of drop-off from the first one. Yeah, a third of people. Okay, anyway, yeah, that's true, it's true, it's true. I, that makes mm. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep, that, after saying, like, I have no idea, I'm like, yeah, that totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> well, when it's, it's, when it's when, like anything, when someone tells you the answer, you go, of course it is, why the fuck would I think otherwise? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you know where it ended up on, on the Tom Automator, at least, and you've heard our opinions. Matt, can you improve this god awful mess of a film? No. See you next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs> um, no, I. <laughs> I had a problem with this one. It's another one uh, where I'm not not full on goosebumps, but I'm like, you don't need another one. You, you, there's not. He. I mentioned one of my picks from before where it's like Evan Almighty is like, don't do another yeah. one. Bruce Almighty is fine. <laughs> it never needs a sequel. Leave it at mm. that. Like, how the fuck do you do Evan Almighty? I don't I should put know. Out. Like, I still Will Smith is Jesus. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still came up with a plot because it's gangster films. There's lots of there's lots mm. ripe parody. It's just their particular story, unless you take a huge divergent that was kind of run aground. Um so I was like, eh, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I'm I'm happy with what I've put down. I'm I'm excited for you guys to read it, etc. Um, but it, initially, like going for the picture, it's like at the end of Analyze This, I'm like. I don't really need much else from this. I've got everything I can get from cool. this. In the story, Paul is Paul has finally learned his lesson. He's serving his time. Arcs have been made. Ben's off doing the stuff, and yeah, he's learned some yeah. lessons as well. He's learned how to punch people, etc. <laughs> he's he's, he's too nervous, and then he's slapping jelly about slapping <laughs> jelly. By the way, <laughs> slapping jelly is definitely a term for wanking, right? <laughs> it's much worse jelly than wanking, make... Jack. You don't yeah, want to you... look up. Don't don't yeah, you... don't Google. Slap Give a smack jelly. jelly, you you like decimate it. I mean, it depends on how do you slap it, Matthew. Just go gently, softly. Soft I've touch. only got one speed, son. That's, that's Tim. Good. Cut this. This isn't helping us. <laughs> Jello slapping is a YouTube oh, channel. You know, right? <laughs> slapping the jelly. Urban dictionary. Here we yeah, go. It's an urban dictionary. Euphemism for female masturbation. <laughs> Thank you, cat. <laughs> <laughs> there. Uh, yeah. There's there's some faces being pulled by my cat. Yeah. yeah. It's because the image of like some jelly being slapped about. And I don't mean like a soft tappy, tappy, tappy. I mean, like, lovely. Tim, thank you for the sound. Yeah, get effect. us back on track. Anyway, see, I think I think there is room to tell another story here. Um, and I'm, in fact, I think that like the the way that not the not with the stupid fucking feigning insanity, but like the idea of like oh he's out of prison now and he's trying to build a new life. Like I think you could probably do a decent enough. It's just Tim. the fact. You're going to be happy with my pitch. Yeah, it's just the fact that they then throw a bunch of other meaningless shit in there and don't actually follow up on the first plot. So anyway. Tim, Tim you're not going to be happy with my pitch, I apologise. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm, I'm not sequelising it, Matt is. Yes. Tell us, right, tell let's us get, of your Let's thoughts. get some stuff here. There's very little groundwork for me to lay before you get into the actual thing. The first thing's first, I, the title's fine. Analyze that is a good title. Uh, I changed it because I... Like I said, yeah. analyze this, analyze yep. that. Now you see me, now yep. you don't. It just <laughs> makes sense. But I wanted to do something different because I could. So I got... 
I went with analyze these. <laughs> As in like analyze these nuts. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I can see the poster and it's fucking it's Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal standing next to each other and they're both just grabbing their balls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So actively, I've made the title worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's the. It's De Niro just like, I don't like yeah. these. Just like, leaning forward, grabbing his cock. Yeah. Through his yeah jeans. Pretty much. But there yeah. is a reason it's these, it's because it's multiple people. Um, so uh, the release year, I put 2001. I'm not entirely sure why I did that, other than to make it something that isn't 2002. <laughs> 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 I must say, a lot of the times you're very so like, specific. You got a lot of conf- confidence yeah. and very yeah, incredibly specific. With like, I chose this yeah. actor because I really has, liked his performance. Has to come out in October in these three because it, it references this thing that happens in spring, <laughs> and, and he he dies in yeah. December, so it has to come out then. He's I think he gets ill in November before he dies in December, so yeah. it has to come out in October '96. <laughs> Otherwise, it all goes to shit. And you're like, oh, fucking 2001, I guess. <laughs> Strike all the irons. Bring in your Even A game, Stogden. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Strike while the iron is present, I guess. <laughs> Don't you dare let that iron cool down. <laughs> Are we in for another goosebump? No, where it's just a map. <laughs> no, no. no this is the... and I'm now Billy Crystal's analyzing time. Pinhead. <laughs> Why are you uh, why are you tearing flesh off people? Come on now. I feel pleasure. Does it get them pleasure? I I never thought about it like that. I think okay, all, I so, think all these I think all these sadomasochistic feelings they go back to this relationship you had with your mother. My mother was a box. That's rude. Um, <laughs> right. So <laughs> analyze these. Two thousand and one. Moving on. Director Harold Ramis. Now, here's the thing. Oh, you're bringing Ramis back. I am. Okay. I don't think he brings anything to the original. <laughs> <laughs> what is this pitch, Matt? You've given, I don't know why I've picked the year. I don't know why I'm bringing back the director. <laughs> Have you lost it? What is going on? Are you, are you all right? I mean, Do clearly we need to not. sit down as... as as the token Jew, do we need to analyze? Do you? I need to sit down with you? Yeah, so we need. To, can we? Can we do analyze yeah. Matt instead? <laughs> you, you know what uh, Freud did, said about the Irish? Matt, we're doing an intervention. Yeah, that's fair. No, Harold Ramis, I don't think is any problem with Ramis in terms of his direction. It's perfectly functional. The first film is fine. The, as I say, the music, the cinematography, the, the direction, it's fine. It's shot literally like this kind of film. Howard Shaw does the score, yeah. which blew my mind. Like fucking Howard Shaw. Harold Ramis is very much the Paul Paul Feig of the nineties. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. Um, I mean, Ivan Reitman might be a better idea, but at the same time, it, they're all untested. Harold Ramis has proven that he can get this kind of film done with the right script, and I'm hoping this is the right script for him to do something better, basically. So I'm like, yeah, fuck it, give him a second go at it. I don't have a problem with that. Returning cast: Ben Sobel, Billy Crystal, uh, Paul Vitti, Robert De Niro, Laura Sobel, Lisa Kudrow. I don't have the character of Michael uh, Ben's son from his first marriage coming back. I don't think it's the same actor now. I think about it. I'm not entirely sure. But uh, I think I don't it is because back. both times when I saw him, I was like, "That guy does not look like Billy Crystal's son." <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. It's the same guy. guy. Fuck it. I did yeah. not see it. What well, Kyle Sabi Sabi? Kyle Reese. Mm. Don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah. Um, yeah. So he's not coming back. His character is not back at all. Uh, he looks I'm, more like Tony Soprano's son. Fucking does. 
new cast, and this is where your uh, little uh, parody of me earlier, your little uh, homage, shall we say, comes to full light. I'm bringing in as the character Enzo Battaglia, Bruno Kirby. Now, Bruno Kirby, and this is the kind of thing I have to do him in this time of the period, because he dies in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking, Matt. Go on. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, Bruno Kirby is one of those people who I think got a bad rap because um, he is in some great films and gives some really good performances and then just sort of faded out of existence and then he sort of end up with these nothingy kind of films. He's in The Godfather Part 2. He plays, uh, is it Young Tatalia? I'm not sure where he plays. He, he basically plays one of De Niro's, um, or, or, or you know, Corleone's old uh, five family contacts, as it were, and friends. He's in Good Morning Vietnam. He's in Donnie Brasco. He's got a very, very short sort of cameo scene in This Is Spinal Tap as the limo driver. He's one of those guys oh, who go, yeah. that fucking guy. That guy. He's also also in When Harry Met Sally and City Slickers for your yep. uh, Billy Crystal connection. Exactly. I've got him mm. with both of them, basically. And I think he's a... In the same way, Chas Parmentieri has a great presence and he's really good and he's got good chemistry with those guys. I think Bruno Kirby's also... He's a little short dude who gets... <laughs> in a weird way, kind of like a less angry and genuinely probably more menacing Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci would be the <laughs> obvious choice to go for at this point. I don't know if he's retired from acting at this point or not, but, but I, I think that's a little too on the nose. And Bruno Kirby, I think, is the kind of person who could actually do something quite interesting, same sort of age, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm bringing him in specifically as Enzo Battaglia. And that's all you need to know going into this pitch. Uh, except for one extra caveat, sorry. This pitch is written straight. So basically, everything in this is going to sound like a fucking gangster movie. Like I've written another fucking Godfather or Goodfellas or something like that. There's not going to be a lot of like, and then whoopsie daisy, his cock falls out. Um, it's just going to be <laughs> this stuff. Um, but it will be about down to the delivery. I think I put maybe one or two bits in there where you can kind of see how they get heated and back and forth and the kind of exchanges, shall we say. But, uh, but let's just crack to it, unless you guys have any initial questions. No, like, it's, it's, it's why how, Ramus? <laughs> the story opens on a flashback to 1964 as two teenagers are running down the street pursued by police on foot. They nip through the neighborhood with ease, a look of joy on their face, as if their entire act is a game. As they round a corner, the kid in the lead runs straight into a cop who grabs him by the collar. The other sees his friend struggle, but uses the distraction to make a quick escape. The policeman tells the kid that he'll have to pay for his antics. From this opening scene, we cross-dissolve to a black Lincoln pulling up outside a restaurant. An older man in a shiny suit, Luca, played by James Kahn. Ah, you're sneaking hey. in some extra... Bringing in some sneakies. Yeah. Steps out and walks to a table in the back. After a few moments of inactivity, Luca expresses his frustration to the men accompanying him. Finally, a young man approaches the table, and while Luca is ordering some food, the young man shakily says... Enzo Battaglia says New York is his. From an external shot, we see muzzle flashes light up the restaurant before the young man gets into a car and speeds away. Ben Sobel is pacing around a therapist's office, clearly at odds with the doctor in front of him, as Laura sits quietly, arms crossed. After managing to get Ben to sit down, the therapist explains that they came to him and he ultimately just wants to help. Ben mutters for what he's paying, you could fool him. Settling down, the three agree that with Michael having left for college, the family doesn't feel whole, and that the respective parents still do not approve of the marriage given the events of the first film. What's more, Laura feels that since she has arrived in New York, she's been living in Ben's shadow, and that he doesn't appreciate her abilities and accomplishments. Ben denies this, 
before both reaffirm their love for one another and vow to improve. I'm giving her a story. Hey. Agreed. He, he does underappreciate her. I'm glad we're acknowledging Yes. <laughs> yeah. Arriving in his own office, literally down the hall, Ben is greeted by a pair of FBI agents, who he initially mistakes for auditors. Comedy. Um, the agents explain they are looking to release Paul Vitti from prison as an informant to help bring down the Battaglia family who have taken over the entire crime syndicate after the vacuum left following the major sting operation years prior. So if it already been mentioned, because everyone's arrested at the end of the movie, big old vacuum is the same. Someone's always going to step in and fill it. Ben wishes them the best of luck, but doesn't understand why they've come to him. The FBI are under the impression that since Paul and Ben were so close, he could be used as counsel to keep an eye on Paul. Ben asks why they would think that, and an argument breaks out over the whole taking a bullet for Paul thing. They then add that as he's someone with something to lose, he's therefore the most obvious choice. In prison, a group therapy session is being held. Paul and Jelly are present, listening to a man named Tony, played by James Gandolfini. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Cameos. <laughs> Grandstanding about not respecting psychiatry. Talk to a shrink. You might as well be talking to a cop or a fed, am I right? Paul corrects him, but the meeting devolves into violence and several guards step in as curses and punches are flung around. Paul is then taken to a side room where Ben is waiting for him. They discuss the FBI's deal, which will dramatically reduce his sentence, but Paul is conflicted, explaining the feds can't be trusted to hold up their end of the deal, and that while he left all of that behind, he might feel pulled back in if he gets too close. Ben says he will help him and reminds Paul that he gave up the criminal life to ensure his own son had a better life. In a walk-in freezer, always a sign that something good is about to happen. <laughs> a a rocky training sequence. are beating a man hanging upside down from the ceiling. The scene goes quiet as Enzo Battaglia enters. Enzo quietly discusses that he respects ambition, but not over loyalty. We now see that the individual in question is the young man who killed Luca. It turns out that after taking out Luca, the kid thought he could easily do the same to Enzo. The scene is interrupted when a capo enters and tells Battaglia that he's heard Paul is being released from prison. There is a momentary shared look of tension between those present until Enzo lights up and excitedly claims, Are you kidding me? That's great news. I'm so goddamn happy I might not even whack this guy. Battaglia instructs the others to make arrangements to meet Paul as soon as possible. Enzo then turns his attention back to the upside-down man and says, I don't know what you're so happy about. I said might, and then pulls out a gun and shoots him. Paul and Ben arrive home to find a line of cars outside and Laura on the porch. A parade of criminals line up to kiss Paul's hand while Ben runs inside to console his wife, who he has not notified. Laura is surprisingly not angry that Paul is back in Ben's life. She's just very disappointed and calmly walks back inside. Paul walks up to Ben She's and quietly says, She's oh, just disappointed. They're just clapping. disappointed. <laughs> yep. It's worse. Paul walks up to Ben and quietly says, Dark, I ain't no psychologist, but uh, that can't be a good thing. Ben Riley thanks Paul. Um, they discuss the meeting and say, This is good that Paul can get the info he needs and get out. Paul looks up into the distance and says, You don't know Enzo. From here, we learn that the opening scene in the 60s depicted both Paul and Enzo. And that incident is the reason they haven't spoken since childhood. Right. So who's who in the opening section? Exactly. Oh. Mm. Oh. Sneaky, sneaky. I like it, Matt. I like it. They're all the policemen. <laughs> <laughs> After several establishing shots, we learn that the meeting has been arranged to take place at a carnival. Paul and Battaglia stride toward one another and embrace, catching up. 
The two laugh about running in a gang as kids and how the carnival brings back a lot of memories. The two then start competing inadvertently for every menial thing like winning prizes to be the biggest candy floss. I'm imagining like they're surprisingly good at the gun games and all that kind of stuff. It's the gut, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's also like they're throwing like coconut shell, well not coconut shell, but you know, like, they, like a ball and like a ski ball kind of like, rah, and getting quite aggressive yeah. with it. And it's very much a, these men are taking it too seriously. Yeah. yeah. Comedy. Uh, <laughs> masculinity. <laughs> every, now, every now and then, masculinity and comedy. Would you like Such to measure your penis, sir? Always. <laughs> Just in case. Finally, Enzo explains it's good to have Paul back after he rose to being such a big shot, but he'd be more than happy to welcome him into his family. Paul takes immediate offence to this and asks what he means. Enzo explains he's given his friend a job, to which Paul replies, What? You think I can't take care of myself? Is that what you think this is? You think I need some sort of charity from you or anyone? Enzo responds that he's just looking out for it, and they come close to shooting each other if it weren't for the setting. Again, I'm imagining they draw water pistols at each other or something, and then they (laughs) swap for real guns or something. It's it's the classic, like, reaching into a... Comedy. It's the scene in Gross Point Blank where they're trying to not to shoot each other under the table with the yeah. uh, Croydon junkie stick with the bag. And, yeah, exactly. We didn't talk mm. about Gross Point Blank, but like weirdly Great similar film. film. Yeah, that's better. true. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Paul seems incredibly hurt, concluding the reunion was a mistake and the two part ways. Back at Ben's practice, he has started to acquire a reputation as a doctor to the underworld, and both he and his secretary do his best to reject adamant potential patients who all insist they can pay in used, non-consecutive bills. (laughs) Paul tries calling Ben, but can't get through, so throws his phone into a lake before shooting it, and shouting obscenities, asking what's the point of being on call if he can never get him on a fucking call. Ben and Paul finally meet and discuss how the encounter went. Paul explains it brought up a lot of memories and he's having a lot of difficulty processing. Paul then details that in his hotel room was a note which set out a way for him to avoid serving further prison time. Ben asks if it was from the FBI, but Paul believes it's probably from a friendly old contact who's keeping their distance. That it's more of a eat your meal and duck out on the bill sort of situation. Ben thinks it's a terrible idea, but Paul feels it might be good to get out fully so he can be around for his son Anthony. Anthony! (laughs) Fearing he too will grow up without his father around. While talking about the idea of fear and running away, Ben and Paul stubbornly conclude that both are ruled by it. Paul has an odd fear of Battaglia, who he dubs a golden boy, and Ben fears that he's not good enough for his wife. He's not wrong. She deserves (laughs) better. Damn right. So can't celebrate her accomplishments. As things settle, Ben circles back, asking why Paul called Enzo the golden boy, and we learn that Paul was the kid who got pinched while Battaglia got away and seemingly suffered no repercussions. There we go, back to the opening mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. Paul recounts how his father, who already hated the law, had to pick young Paul up from the station. We see Paul getting scolded by his father and Ben narrates over the top that we now know that this was because his father didn't want that life for his son, just as Paul doesn't want that for Anthony. Paul asks, who's telling this story? Did you live this? Are these your memories? And continues. Paul then explains that his dad saw how Paul's pride had been affected and said he'd take the family out to dinner wouldn't tell his mother about the incident. Ben realises that this was the day Paul's father was killed, and seeing Enzo has brought all these memories to the surface. Paul expresses his irritation that this particular issue had already been resolved, but Ben says it's the single most traumatic experience of his life, in a life full of wall-to-wall trauma, and it will no doubt be the root of many things. Paul dismisses this conclusion, saying everything can't come back to the death of his father, and says he's going to do the one thing his old man couldn't, 
is finally getting his family out. Returning home, Ben acts on his own revelation and tells Laura he will do better to support her and that her talent makes him feel insecure. Laura explains that her network has put her in charge of covering the reopening of a historic race course and uh, it would mean a lot if he could be present. Ben eagerly agrees. The day of the racecourse reopening comes around and seemingly unbeknownst to each other, Ben, Paul and Enzo are all present. Paul and his family are keeping to the crowd, looking for their contact to get them on a plane to Italy. Back to the motherland, excellent. Laura and her team are already covering the event, but Ben is en route, having been delayed dismissing potential clients. Vitalia says to his men that he wants to see this, so has reserved the best seats in the house, a box high in the stands. He also explains there is a sniper on the roof who is simply <laughs> waiting for the signal. Suddenly we realise that Paul has been walked into a trap and his son is likely going to watch his father die in a similar fashion. Enzo compares the whole thing to an elaborate final scene in an opera because that's the most Italian thing <laughs> in the world. There's going to be opera music playing over the end of this. <laughs> of Probably course there pal- is. Pagliacci or something. But doctor, I am Pagliacci. <gasps> Drum snare. Good joke. Everybody laughs. We learn that Laura is set up in the box next door to Battaglia after a mix-up with the rooms. While recording backup footage, the audio man complains that they're getting a lot of cross-chatter interfering with the feed. Ben finally arrives, witnessing the huge crowds, and tries to make his way through. Back in the box, Battaglia, looking through binoculars, sees a florist with a huge bouquet making his way through the crowd. At that moment, the race begins, and the horses make their way around the course. The camera cuts back and forth between Battaglia watching Paul, Paul looking out for his contact, and the sniper tracking the flowers. Everything is thrown off when Ben ploughs into the florist and apologises, noticing the delivery is for Paul with a photo to identify him. He says he'll take it, seeing it as a good way to make up with with his friend. The florist and Ben argue, which confuses the sniper. (laughs) Battaglia doesn't understand what the hold-up is and scans the crowd. Who the fuck is this mook? then starts barking orders over the radio. At the same time, the sound guy starts recording everything, signalling to Laura that he thinks he's onto something. Paul sees Ben and starts to realise what is happening. Slow motion, operatic music, it's like the fuck untouchables. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing Ben taking the flowers, the sniper aims and takes a shot. Packing up his equipment, the assassin quickly makes his way off the roof. In the chaos, we see the crowd scatter, but it slowly becomes clear that no one is hurt. Paul tackled Ben to the floor just in time, indicated by a bullet hole through the tail of his jacket and lodged in a nearby post. Anthony sees his father as a hero, and Ben thanks Paul, then hands him the battered flowers. Comedy. (laughs) I got these flowers for you. Oh, beautiful. Messed up, that kind of bullshit. Maybe save these ones for your wife. Yeah. You should uh, should talk to your wife. Masculinity. Yeah. Comedy. (laughs) Not in front of my family, Doc. (laughs) Furious. that's That's the one right there. Yeah. I get the wrong impression, you know. Furious, Battaglia heads to the exit, but is headed off by the police, who have been tipped off by Laura and her team, with evidence of Enzo being behind the hit. Behind the hit, you fucking gabagool! Marone! <laughs> Give me Ajit over here! Every Italian American's gonna be like fucking furious and sick. Yeah. <laughs> and they can't fucking swim over here, so fuck them. While the FBI renege on the deal, stating that Laura was responsible rather than Viti or Sobel, Paul freely returns to jail, believing Ben somehow orchestrated the whole thing, helping him understand that the redemption he felt as a kid was more powerful and rewarding than simply getting away with it, like Vitalia and technically his own father did. With the loose ends tied up, we are treated to Laura's coverage of the event and Enzo's court case over the credits. An and opera. 
scenes. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Nice. Yeah, I th- I think that's. <laughs> it's so much better than than analyze that because there was no there's, cock joke, Sorry. There's basically just there's one plot to follow, pretty much. I mean, there's some yeah. subplots, but there's not fucking a dozen different things going on. None of them particularly substantial. Well, yeah, you as have... we said, that analyze that keeps restarting. Is the problem? It's like, what are we doing with this film? What are we doing with this film? What are yeah. we doing with this film? Yeah, this actually has a a plot that it follows and that makes sense <laughs> and that has a, a degree of emotional stakes. Mm-hmm. I I think it works so it works so much better as a thematic follow on from the first one, even mm-hmm. tying in, in in multiple different ways, tying into how you know. Paul is like, oh, I thought we resolved all the shit with my dad and all that kind of stuff in the first one. Yeah, yeah. You're like, well, no, that's a fairly big thing. And as you mentioned earlier, Tim, like the the comparison that Rick and Morty makes of like, it's like brushing your teeth. These things, that whole trauma of basically your dad being killed and you feeling responsible isn't resolved in a 90-minute film. It's going to yeah. have repercussions. <laughs> and I like that you continue that and bring it back and actually have that then play towards his relationship with Anthony in this one and have it be the central theme for Paul, who then obviously then turns the tables and takes the bullet for, essentially takes the bullet for Ben. It plays so much better with keeping those characters consistent from the first one. You don't have Ben just being a hot-headed nutter for no reason and just like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we just basically swapped them around? Like, no, it wouldn't. Yeah. We'd keep the characters consistent. <laughs> and yeah. I know you're deep in the the mafia lore in a lot of ways, Matt. You 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 know those films pretty well. I've been to Sicily. <laughs> exactly. You you may have written a Godfather three pitch or two in your yeah. day. And I think that that that's evident here, and that you keep the serious mafia like. One of the, I think one of the best scenes in the first one is the big like meeting of all the mafia guys at the table kind of thing, and they're all and, and yeah, Chaz yeah. is there, and, and they're all legit terrifying. There's a few minutes there where it feels like it's a it's a thing from Godfather or Goodfellas or whatever it is, you know. In, in that brief mm. moment, you're like, oh, well, oh, oh, it's a comedy film, and then there is the twist, and then they they kind of bring it back around again. I think you play mm. on that really well in this one, and it, perhaps even more so than than Analyze This did. You have moments that are just straight up. The opening scene is legit just a a scene from a mafia film. <laughs> there's no comedy mm. twist. There's no bullshit. There's no other stuff. Mm. But that sets up how the stuff works later on, and I think that is why mm. your film works so much better than Analyze That, is that you have the central themes and the central plot threads running through that tie it all together really nicely. Whereas, as we said with Analyze That, it's like, a bunch of shit happens. And then <laughs> Paul fakes insanity because of reasons. And then he works at a place because reasons. And then Ben <laughs> is his sole custodian for some reason. We don't understand like, how that works. <laughs> yeah, none of that makes sense. Whereas this feels like it has a very clear path and character progression for all the central characters that matter. And fuck me, you mm. gave Lisa Kudrow something to do. So I appreciate yeah. that as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I felt that, again, it's, it's, the film is remarkably straightforward because, again, as we did with the breakdown earlier with the, the synopses, Analyze This is very straightforward. And it's very heightened in its nonsense, like the, the breaking up of the wedding twice. 
again, Kudrow, remarkably patient. Um, <laughs> whereas she sidelines so much in this movie. She's a passenger in that movie. Mm. And I wanted her to do something because again, Kudrow's funny. And I think it's like, it's like, oh, she in Miami, we first introduced her character where she's like, I work for the fucking television station and it's my last day. I'm going to have to you know, uh, live in New York and live my new life. Except she doesn't. She just gets messed around at a lot of weddings. That's mm. all she does. It's fucking... And she wants her, you know, uh, Michael to like her. That's kind of it. And it's like, oh, this is a waste of talent. So I just give her something to do, basically, and have her involved. And this, the, the psychoanalysis isn't actually Paul being analyzed anymore. He's not really getting scrutinized as much as anything else. It's her and him. It's the, it's the couple's counseling mm. is, is, the, is, the, is the, the shift, shall we say. Hence the analyze these. It's these people and that kind of mm. stuff. Um, although Analyze That's still a better title. Um, <laughs> I, I have a suggestion for another title. Please do. Analyze Them. That's good. I don't mind that at all. It has a potential for, for It doesn't have the implication couple. of someone grabbing their crotch, but I like it. <laughs> analyze Them sounds <laughs> like someone's grabbing... Mm. <laughs> I mean, you have the anal Analyze, yeah. Analyze These mm -hmm. is definitely more... Analyze Them is... They're more both, both perfectly fine. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think there's... You've, I think as much as you've made it quite a straight, like, gangster movie... There is room in mm. there for some of the, the the slightly more broad comedy. Like I can imagine a lot of fun over um, Ben keeping having like um, various criminals show up, and almost you yes. could almost do like a a trotting out of all the kind of uh, like ethnic crime stereotypes. See, I wanted to do that. I was going to have a cameo of somebody like Snoop Dogg um, coming out, and yeah. and it's sort of like you know. Bloods and Crips sort of like nod. I thought, I don't want to do that. Yeah. But I kind of and, do and want to do that. Like, want, your like bright, the Italian Brighton Beach and yes. Russians. Yes, and exactly. Yeah, your, your triads and your, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, and instant Americans, I know I've just done an, an LA and New York thing. That's not how films work. Films don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I genuinely, I, I had considered doing that as well. I thought, I'll just say criminals yes and yeah. however the film interprets that we'll go with that because i also can't yeah. imagine a film in 2001 or 2002 doing that in any way tastefully um, no but uh but i know what you mean again, yeah. well written and well done we just assume it's the best mm. version it's like this is fucking in yeah i like it and you can yeah. you can I, have I, it i pictured the same thing tim absolutely yeah, yeah you can have it start out fairly grounded and kind of getting bigger as mm. you mm. head towards the end of the film and and then you know like yeah when it gets to paul getting delayed on the day of the racetrack opening it's yeah it's fucking snoop dogg and like three huge guys surrounding him <laughs> like yeah again it's, it's it's more things for to, to terrify billy crystal and rather than have his character go i'm gonna fucking hit you yeah it should be how it, it's 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 the line from pro the producers mm. where in, in in the more recent one where um uh nathan lane's like how these people, how do they find me? They know where I am and they all come to me and they find me. And it's like, where, where are the crazies coming to me? It's like, because you're a doctor and you helped somebody, so what did you think would happen? Um, and, the, and they're also a group of people who often aren't, not to like, you know... Stereotype. It's just, yes. To turn criminals into victims here because they're fucking criminals. Mm. But like, they're a group of people who were, A, as we talked about in the first one, is the whole toxic masculinity thing of they don't deal with this shit. And yeah. Paul doing it kind of leaves the door ajar for other guys to come through and be like, fucking Paul Vitti did it. I have, yeah. <laughs> he, he bashed a guy's head in with a fucking basketball. And then yeah. you're like, wait, what? And then yeah. cut to 
like three of the mafia guys sat on Billy yeah. Crystal's sofa and stuff. Like, yeah, that that works. And yeah. then again, th- criminals don't tend to go for legitimate things. So like mm-hmm. th- those that group of people would not feel like, oh, I can just go to the doctor. There's the classic thing of like, oh, you're shot. We'll get you to the hospital. Nah, I can't go to the hospital. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, of course, because you got shot yeah. in a legal activity thing. These guys that are traumatized from like, I had I had to cave my brother's head in with the door of my car. What do I do, Doc? And you're like, fucking hell. Yeah. Like, is that kind of stuff yeah. that I can that easily could see tie like, in really well? You get like escalating horror stories from all the different <laughs> criminal guys. I'll tell you. I'll tell you one I could. I actually had an idea for as a scene. I was going to put in was uh, was an Italian gangster dude. Probably another cameo in there. And he'd say like, uh, "I got to tell you this thing's dark," and he goes through the whole stuff and and and. Paul, uh, Ben's like I, 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 I really need to be going going now I mean, I, 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 we'll schedule an appointment if we have to but it's not really my thing it's like you know I, I did all this stuff it's like okay that's really horrifying and I was uh, I was telling this to my priest and uh, obviously he couldn't take it so well I had to kill him and um, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah, this yeah. isn't a confession yeah but you got the same thing right you got the same uh, absolution kind of stuff it's like There's we, a, that's the, not the, what we do here patient confidentiality yeah, thing, you yeah. can't say anything because it'd be yeah. unfortunate well, if you fell down an escalator onto well, well, some uh, well, 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 technically we have we haven't signed a you're not a patient yet. You just walked in my door, but I, I guess mm. we could uh, we we could work something out. Yeah, I guess we could work something out. Or yeah. you can work something out, and he just like flashes a gun on his pants. Or <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's the thing is that's the enough, entire energy of the first film. And so it's, weird. It feels so like. Yeah, this is writing itself. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. not, not that I'm. No, I'm saying, like, I'm saying oh, no, no, no. It, was, it was an easy job yeah. for you, Matt. But no, no, no. You, la- yeah. you laying out the groundwork just gives all the opportunity for comedy, as you said. Mm. Now Tim and I are just like, oh yeah, but this guy walks in and this is funny, and then this happens yeah. and this is funny. And as we were um, reading it, like yeah. they're in a carnival, I'm like, well, obviously they're shooting each other with the war guns and stuff, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> I'm like, well, obviously, yeah. of course, because what else is going to happen? Like, because yeah. even like you know, on the popcorn machine goes like, and it's <laughs> the, 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 basically. It's the idea that if you have a straight story in place that is genuinely trying to just do something simple, the comedy kind of writes itself based on parody of films that you've seen before mm. or the, the archetypes and stereotypes. Yep. Now, admittedly, some could say, are you not just retreading the first film? It's like, well, as we said about therapy, that's what therapy is. You tread over these things again and again and again until it becomes crushed and normalized and it becomes part of you and you accept yourself and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but at the same time, that's also the nature of toxic masculinity and the mafia and obviously it's like it's always the same thing it's always the same cycle it's always fathers and sons and bullshit like that and this this sexual nonsense about like you know ah, i love my fucking wife why do you have three mistresses fuck you don't talk to me about my fucking mistress it's like what, what is yeah, this yeah. it's it's the entire soprano stuff it's why for seven seasons nothing changes arguably it's the same story but we yeah. love it because it's like compelling um and almost every gangster mafia movie, you know what you're kind of getting yourself into. So again, I think that there's retread here, but unless I went like batshit crazy away from the thing or tried mm. to do a different, like, you know, oh, it's Boston, it's the Irish mob, or it's the fucking, um, it's it's set in Compton. There's, you know, it, all different things change up and, you know, Ben tries to move away, he gets to Miami. Oh God, he's now in with, you know, the fucking Cubans. <laughs> unless you do that, and I think by doing that, you strip the film of the, the as we said before, the, the pair bonding of mm. De Niro and, and Crystal and that, that sort of dynamic back and forth thing. Um, I think the only thing I would have liked to have seen more of, um, yes. which I'm kind of surprised wasn't in the originals as well. Uh, and I think you do the smart thing of sending Ben's son away because he's not really a very yeah, interesting yeah, character and having him be the driver in the yeah. second one is a weird little 
thing that doesn't really turn him, into him toying uh, with the life of crime is like yeah. such a weird and and again thing. goes nowhere it's like no. it's there no. for a scene and then it doesn't really matter um mm. but uh i th- it would have been nice to see some of paul actually dealing with like his children um, that's true that's true and 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 actually try and establish like what his relationship with with anthony is like and and stuff mm. like that um just so because i think i think a there's probably room for comedy there in the idea that like he suddenly wants to be a good father and he's probably just left it up to his wife to raise yeah. the kids up until a that wife point. that we don't really see in the first film i, d- I don't think she's not really a character ever see her um i'm pretty sure yeah, she's lying she's on the not bed on at all is she like She's not a named actor. He's not a named yeah. character. Because I, I did have this yeah. whole subplot of things of ideas and rejected concepts mm. and you go through the initial pitching stuff and, and, and you know, the, the general, general sort of like uh, hammering out, seeing what, what do I wouldn't. The whole father-son thing. I think, well, my, you know, Michael could be a thing. And Anthony, I thought, how old's Anthony supposed to be? He's like like 10 or some shit. So it was a thing like, mm. oh, do I, what can I do with it? I can make it work, I guess. Um, so I think you're right. I think there's definitely stuff we can put in there without. And, and again, because the script is so straightforward, I think it's quite easy. You could easily yeah. have him like, you know, running through the neighborhood doing silly, stupid shits. Like, what are you doing? I did this as a kid. I know these streets. Okay, you're gonna fall over, hurt yourself, right? You know what I mean? That kind of, you know, silly. Like, it's like, why, why are you being a dad mm. to me? I was like, I'm your father. You're like, yeah. you know, <laughs> fucking, you know, if your fucking father. It's like, don't swear around him. You know, the whole like, just not swearing in front of your child. Yeah, and it's like. The kid's saying, "Fuck you, dad." I was like, "What?" Because it's obviously an R-rated <laughs> film. You know, so you could have so don't many things swear you in front of your with. mother. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to your fucking mother. Uh, that's a <laughs> thing I've heard in, in, in me and my wife's family. It's like, don't fucking swear. It's like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> Stop cockney raising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I will tell you how not to do the thing by doing the thing and then being an example of the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's just legacy of families. But yes, I, th- I think it's the kind of thing that just exists for punch up and improv. So the story's there. And then just all the tropes of, and all the people involved. That's why I like Harold Ramis, I'm not worried about him coming back because the cast and crew have been there before, but more importantly, the cast and crew have been on these kind of films. And rather than having a film which is pure filler and punch up with no actual narrative running through it and a very convoluted back and forth, up and down, stop, start, this actually feels, again, I'm, maybe I'm being too self-aggrandizing, but hopefully feels straightforward and simple and easy to follow so the jokes are easy. And I'm not like talking down to the audience, but it's an analyze this sequel. You don't want to go too far out of the wheelhouse and get into actual yeah. analysis. Yeah, you want it to be recognizable and and still. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think absolutely you've got a good foundation here for, I can see like the comedy coming in through the performances. I think yeah. because it's a more consistent story, it means that the performances will also be more consistent and therefore it will feel less of a just like the performances are pinballing all over the place yeah um there's no fucking west side story in this one um, there's no limp sword fucking dream sequence yeah Into <laughs> <laughs> oh god, god. um so yeah. nonsense uh so cool. yeah no i think you've done a really good job with this one i think it, it, it like you say it's a tough one probably the answer is don't make a sequel, but I think you've made a much better one than than the one that currently exists. Nice, thank you. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I've been racking my brains to try and think of somebody who could do it instead of Ramus, basically, because, like you said, Matt Ramus brings so little to the first one. Yeah, and I like Harold Ramus. He's you know I want nothing against mm-hmm. the guy as a director. You know, Groundhog Day is good. 
But that's about it. Yeah, I was trying to write my mind as like, is there somebody? And I've, I haven't done any research. I, I probably mm. should have been looking looking things up and thinking <laughs> about why we're talking. But I was trying to focus and actually read. <laughs> I'm really racking my brains trying to think of somebody who has like dramatic experience but comedic chops as well and is able to get good comedic performances out of somebody out of people like you know Gandolfini and mm. Crystal and De Niro and Kudrow and all that kind of stuff but Again, no one I, immediately sprang to mind yeah I have um has Ron Howard ever done a gangster film Fucking oh, Ron hell. Howard Tim <laughs> the old that's what we need the old safe pair of hands Ron Howard the safest of the hands um, I actually don't disagree with that idea. That's not the bad at all. Safest of hands, Ron Howard. <laughs> um, I do oh have... Mm, do I have two ideas or do I have one idea? I have two names I want to throw out there. One I might pull back at the end. We'll see. No, fuck it. I think one's okay. Um, one name is uh, Ivan Reitman. It's a fairly... Mm-hmm. It's keeping with the Ghostbusters thing. Just so you know, knows, director of Meatball Stripes, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Dave Jr., um, evolution. Um, mm, he's, he, gets, he trails off a little bit that time of year, but he's still. He's still. But again, I don't. Again, doing this, he wouldn't be able to do evolution. Oh no! Oh no! How, how <laughs> I am actually, I going to get my head and shoulders advert in? <laughs> I don't. I don't mind evolution. I think it's quite nonsense. But anyway, the point is that he's a possibility. Yes. The other one I think is interesting as a safe pair of hands kind of thing is Charles Shire. Charles Shire is the guy who. He does a lot of writing stuff more than, uh, than 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 direction, but he wrote Smokey and the Bandit. He wrote Private Benjamin. Um, he wrote and directed. Oh no, he just wrote Jumping Jack Flash. He wrote and directed Father of the Bride, which I think is that same sort of thing with Steve Martin, that kind mm. of vibe. And then did the remake of The Parent Trap. Unfortunately, did the remake of Alfie, which was not good, and they stopped working. But um, mm. yeah, I think, he, I think Jude Alfie. One. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, but I think he's the kind of person who has that rapport with that generation of actor that he could bring something out that would be, again, that family style. Like, oh yeah, a very, very functional director, shall we say. I've had somebody click for me. It's a bit out of there, mm. but it is a similar kind of... Denis Villeneuve. Cr- dark, <laughs> Denis Villeneuve. Uh, <laughs> dark kind of crime kind of stuff that is also funny. So this okay. kind of crime black comedy kind of stuff. Mm. And I love... Every film of his I've seen, granted, there's only four of them. Martin McDonough. Oh, fuck me. (laughs) Um, In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, Three Billboards, Outside Ebbing, Missouri, um, and Six Shooter, his first film Mm -hmm. as well, which I've I've not seen Six Shooter, but I've seen the the other three. Six Shooter is fucking amazing. Well, there you go. All four are fucking amazing, because I love the other three. (laughs) I have have a minor issue with that. Only a minor one. Um, because Martin McDonough is a fucking great director. I love Martin McDonough. His his plays are brilliant. At this point, by the way, he is just doing. He's a, he's a theatre boy. That's like, the issue. You know. It's before he's even made any. Yeah. Film. yeah. So this is like. Yeah. We, we're doing and, the, the uh, sneaky sequelizer thing of like. Well, I know he <laughs> does great things. <laughs> so therefore, my first up. thing is the first great thing that he does. So this yeah. is just the first ever. I mean, he it's, was cheeky. But, yeah. Well, no, no, it's, it's it's entirely possible. I mean, him doing like, it's like a Skull and Colomar and Lieutenant Inishmore and all that kind of stuff around that sort of time, and then he does a short film which wins an Oscar, and it's his direct. Then he does In Bruges, which is fucking amazing, and then Seven God Psychopaths, in Bruges which is, is so good. good. And then Three Billboards is fantastic. But him and his brother are amazing. I think the problem is that he would make it too dark and too funny. 
Um, and I don't necessarily <laughs> dislike that. Yeah. But I think that audiences would go, mm, it's not what I wanted. No, I'm not saying that's not a... Because I think, I th- I think he's... I, I agree. Yeah. That's why, I'm, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm kind of hesitant. But so. I think it's a, yeah, no, but it's, it's not a, it's not a bad shout because I think he would also light it, it and, and it direct it in an interesting way, which is it not was what that the film kind does. of thing I was looking for. I was like, there's <laughs> no, it's not a bad shout, man. It's kind of that kind of thing. He's good. It, yeah, an idea I had. It's just yeah. before he goes really downhill or around <laughs> when he goes really downhill. Sorry, so, so does oh, De Niro. The Bobby, oh, the Bobby De Niro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. Barry Sonnenfeld. Oh, Barry, ah. see, Barry Sonnenfeld keeps coming up on this show because mm. he does such great work and we end up saying like, fuck, Adam's Family, Men in Black. And we're like, oh yeah. yeah. And then it's like, oh yeah, and Wild Wild yeah, Two, Wild, and Wild, Men Wild in West. Black Two, and <laughs> yeah. Men in Black Three, and Nine Lives with Kevin Spacey. And then everyone's just like, he's fucked it. And then you say, mm. have you seen the, um, oh fuck, I've lost the name already. Have you seen the um, series of unfortunate events on Netflix? And it's like, mm. no, it, it's good. <laughs> it's genuinely good. Yeah. I was like, oh. And he'd done um, Get Shorty in 95. He did Get Shorty. Yeah. Oh, he was kind course, of dabbling yeah. in that area. So You're right. He's, he's, he is also a very good safe pair of hands for this one. I think he mm-hmm. would do it in that kind of way that would, that would work. Bad shout. These are, these are good shouts, gentlemen. Mm. I like them. But this kind of proves the point that if the story's there and the actors are just doing their bit, you just need someone who could talk to De Niro and Crystal and keep up with him. Mm. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And no yeah. one say, yeah. you're going too far, pull it back, which Ramis eventually did not. I think this one in particular it is such a. We get these ones occasionally, and it, I, I know we touch on the like, oh, woe is us. Our job is so hard <laughs> during this podcast that we love and talking about films with our mm. friends. Oh, no. But you do get these weird ones where it's like some of it you put too much pressure on yourself and all this kind of stuff, where it's like, oh, it's a big franchise. I need to handle this well. I need to live up to its legacy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or you get something like this where it's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't need to be made that's the answer mm. I and mean, we run into that quite a lot because so many of these sequels are cash grabs and stuff but i think you've done something matt that does like i said follow thematically and emotionally where the first film goes and makes those characters consistent from the first film to the second film mm. which as we said is such a huge problem for the analyze that that we actually got and yeah well done man that was good Thanks. I have one question, one final question, because mm. I mentioned it earlier, and I think the audience might be thinking as well, possibly, possibly. But I do want to explain myself a little bit, very briefly. I mentioned about Bruno Kirby and why I brought him on and why he's a good actor and why he deserves the role and why he's good, etc. right? And hopefully I think he fits, and if you haven't seen any scenes or clips of him, go watch him and tell me what you think. But, as I said, the logical, obvious choice that people would say, why didn't you just get Joe Pesci? And obviously the answer yeah. is he retired in 1998 after he beat the Weapon 4. And yes, he came back and did a cameo on Good Shepherd in 2006. And then he did the fucking Love Ranch, kind of. And they did The Irishman in 2019. But 20 years of nothing. Mm. And we've argued on the show before, eh, you could get him out of retirement. And I always find that a bit weird because it's like, eh, you get Rick Moranis out of a turret retirement. It's like, <laughs> fucking people have tried. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I, I still don't, but, but, um, I think my question is, do you think it would have been better if it was Joe Pesci? Because I feel like the story would have been, I think Kirby and, and De Niro are interesting in my opinion, as a fan of gangster films. Mm. Pesci feels too blunt for me, but what, what do you guys think? I, I'm worried Pesci would overshadow everything. Mm. You, you bring mm. Pesci and it's like, 
it's almost like um, a level of intensity. Trying to think of an example, like yeah, it would become. It's not. It's no longer about Paul and Ben. It's about Paul, Ben, and whoever Joe Pesci is playing mm. as like the third man who is. He's on mm. the Joe Pesci's on the fucking poster. Mm. Yeah, Just, you know what I mean. Like if it's yeah, analyzed yeah. these with Joe Pesci. <laughs> He's grabbing his dick on the front of the fucking poster as well. <laughs> yeah, and that's it, true. It becomes like De Niro, Pesci, Crystal, probably. Yeah, at that point. that's a very good point. That's a good he's going to get billed above Crystal, which means he might even get more screen time—not yeah. more mm. screen time than the central character. But um, I would worry that you know if you're bringing him in as, I mean, he does have comedic spots, but essentially, if you want a better phrase, the antagonist of mm. Paul's mm. kind of arc. Do you they then be like, yeah, but Joe Pesci could be funny, and you get, I know we, we're gods in this universe, <laughs> we have control, all this kind of stuff, mm. but I would worry he would he would get overshadowed, and people, people being producers because we know what producers are like, would yeah. be like, it's fucking Joe Pesci, make him yeah. the star, De Niro mm. and Joe Pesci, holy why shit. Why don't we have a scene get where them. they do like they, where they do they both do therapy, and it's like couples counselling, but it's with two gangsters. It's, yeah. No, that sounds yeah. bad. That, exactly. And Ray Liotta walks in as well. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, good. I don't know Kirby well enough to know if he's like perfect for the role, but I, I think everything Jack said is right. I think you don't want cool. someone who's going to un- overshadow that central pairing. Um, you just want someone who can who can as a presence does someone, the job. So, someone who can does who can bit. equally like share a screen with de niro and not be yeah like, he cowed. still needs to pull his weight kind of thing By you that, don't want to be but, yeah. lost in the background but yeah mm. I, I think finding that balance between not overshadowing ben and paul's dynamic because again mm. as mu- as much as you brought laura in it is still ben and paul's yeah it's still know, central to it yeah it's just still central to it they are going to be the top build actors they are the central characters Mm -hmm. following through from the second one uh, from the first one to the second one Mm. i think kirby is good i've seen in a couple of different things but and and i think he would certainly pull his weight and he has the history from the godfather and stuff whether that's like you know the backstage dynamic he has with de niro or whatever Mm. or the chemistry that he brings on screen with like yeah you know he he played this character in godfather part two you know he's got the chops and he's mm-hmm. got that mm-hmm. history with the gangster thing that all the other cameos and stuff kind of you got khan you've got gandolfini you've got all the other guys mm. coming through it was like ah, yeah, that yeah, guy yeah. you'd be like why do i recognize who's that playing into that's Isn't my that guy? yeah, yeah. It, exactly as we said earlier that you do with uh chas palmentary like yeah yeah Oh fuck! It's that guy. Yeah, he, he the mob boss looking guy. Yeah, the Italian American mm-hmm. dude. That guy. I think you'd have the exact yeah. same experience Good. with Bruno. Yeah. Mm. Again, that's, it, it sounds silly. Thing. Hey, am I right in what I'm thinking? Yes, mate. You're right. Good. I'm right. But <laughs> in this hypothetical situation. But I wanted to talk through my reasoning a bit more about the casting. I think, and that's, I didn't really nail down the whole. Because again, audience have heard of Joe Pesci say, "Why didn't you get Joe Pesci?" Um, but no, I'm glad. So I'm glad was, you guys. Was that board. your thinking as well that you didn't want to kind of overshadow? Oh yeah, entirely. Um, my, yeah. my thing was, I don't think you can get him out of retirement for anything because that's not how that works. I think um, that's the big thing with Pesci, yeah. For sure. Yeah, I don't think that uh, Pesci would play this character the way we write the character. The character would change entirely. I would probably, if I if I did go like with Pesci, I, said, I would change the story. I think people would get involved and it would change and it would become yes. the Joe Pesci show. Yeah, Precisely. And it would be, he'd either be a screaming loon like in, in Lethal Weapon or he'd be 
you know, a very uh, like he is in, 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 in Home Alone or he'd just be straight up psychotic. It'd be Goodfellas parody again. Mm. With the, you, you, you think I'm a clown? I mean, I him usual. It'd be like, it would be good pigeons from fucking Animaniacs. Um, <laughs> and I didn't want that. I think if, uh, I mean, obviously we're, this is slipping into alternate reality, uh, <laughs> but if he... Uh, if we he always do with Superlizers, Tim. If he hadn't True. died uh, uh, getting uh, John Cazale... Uh, see, there we go. See, mm, mm. him being, yeah, him, and also because he bring a diff, very different air to it as well. I think, yeah. obviously, we can really speculate what his career would have looked like at the end of it, but yeah, the way he, yeah, carries himself, and also like, I, I, I never crossed my mind to bring in Pacino, not once. No, <laughs> again, oh. far too big would overshadow yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it would absolutely become the Pacino show at that point, and yeah, yeah, you'd have the same thing. Yeah. Cool. Right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Nice. Well, listeners, let us know what you think. Uh, if there are any diehard Analyze This, Analyze That fans out there, I'm sure there's somebody like, <laughs> Analyze That is movie. my favourite movie. Some absolute nutter. Rob De Niro's accountant, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> 39% of Rotten Tomato users. <laughs> Goddamn. Exactly. Exactly. Um, let us know. Hit us up on social media. We are Sequelizers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Links for all that stuff are in the show notes, as always. Or you can go to sequelizers.com and find the links to all of our social media, our individual social media, which we'll talk about in a second. The links to the shop, the links to the Discord, the links to the Patreon, the links to all the different podcast platforms you can subscribe to us on, whether you're listening on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any of that shit, you can find us on all of those. You can rate and review us, you can subscribe to us, and we'd appreciate any subscribers and any reviews you guys can offer. If you want to contact me directly, I am JLW Chambers on all the social medias. Again, links on sequelizers.com if you want to find it. Matt, how can they find you on social media? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to cheeseman.com and see the things that I make. You can go to the very right hand.co.uk and see the things that I review. Tim, you fucking Abarul, Maron. Get over here, you fucking. I ain't seen you in so fucking long. How do I find you, Tim? How do I fucking find you? How do I, how do I look for you? You, you, Tim. How do I look for you on the internet? Tim, you, please. You, you come here to me. You let me kiss you on both cheeks. And then I cup your balls and I say, analyze these. Uh, <laughs> fucking love Tim. <laughs> uh, I, I hold Jack. sessions uh, Thanks, for man. clients uh, every day on Twitter. Uh, come to me with your problems, trivia underscore lad, and I will try and uh, solve them by telling you it's uh, it's all because you want to fuck your mum. Or, or just say, you know what? Just do whatever he says. Just let him ride you, which is one of the things that Ben Sobel recommends. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, so that's that's where you can find me. Um, and uh, I've been doing a little bit of writing on some comic sites lately, so there might be posts about that. I don't know when it's going up, so who knows? But... <laughs> That's that's where it'll be if I do if I have anything interesting to uh, shill. Well, we're back next week, listeners, with something completely different. Oh yeah, and another patron pick. There's a little Ooh. tease. Oh yeah, for those of you who are in the loop and who know who's picked who and when is happening. Mm, exciting little tease. <laughs> it could, who's it picked who be more and when di- and where and why? Exactly. And Yo. It, couldn't be, it couldn't be more different to this film, let's put it that way. And, Unless uh, the, the pitch makes it a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we're talking. 
I don't know how that happened. <laughs> oh my god. I'm, I'm going to make it work somehow. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> be prepared for something completely different next week, listeners. But until then, thank you very much for listening. See you then. Thank you.